0: Of so many of you um, today, uh, July 10th will be my 30th wedding anniversary. And uh, some of you know that um, we, uh, now that I'm a father of three daughters, I know how cheap this wedding was. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you, this, uh, your church and Grace Bible Church, the church I was going to at the time when I was in seminary, uh, both partnered together to give my wife and I an incredible wedding, an incredible wedding. Um, Reception at, the, at Washington Bible College at the time, which is no longer that anymore, but the facility is still there. In fact, we just used it, and, um, and I still remember just how wonderful that was that uh, we had special time at the chapel there, and then, then you guys kind of took that gym and made it someplace we'd want to have a reception in <laughs> and, uh, and provided the food and, and really took care of us. We had a wonderful time together. My, of course, my wife grew up in this church, and Pastor Dan... My father-in-law and him and Sarah were here for, I don't know, is it close to 40 years? They were associates for 20-something years, then pastored for 15 or something. I, don't, I should know the numbers, but I don't. For a long time. How's that? And uh, So Dan and Sarah give their greetings. They said hello. Um, I saw them very briefly. Um, Sarah's um, brother's wife passed away um, last Tuesday, and on Saturday... Uh, we all saw each other kind of uninspectedly, but um, because of the uh, of the uh, of the funeral service that was happening for um, his wife Barbara um, in um, up just outside of Philadelphia. So we we saw everybody briefly. So the trayer all of the trayer family was there, and they all said hello. I told them I'd be here this Sunday, so they give their greeting and they say hello to those of you that would remember them, and uh, they think of you fondly. So, you know, one of the things that we are called to do as Christians is, is this thing called the gospel. How many of you have ever heard of it? Some of, several of you have heard of it. That's great. Yeah, I would encourage you to know it. It's a great, it's a great thing to know. And uh, the hard part isn't so much knowing it, it's, it's really even harder to give it to others, isn't it? To, to bring the gospel, the good news to other people. Um, I find that most people aren't really that interested and good news they think that good news is if I win the lottery or if their football team wins and I, I, I would take both of those by the way I, I like it when my football team wins and I I've never tried the lottery but I would certainly be happy I saw the numbers I was driving by the billboard like something like 300 million dollars or something I'm like well I'll be happy with that I could do a lot of things I could think about doing with that um sure I'd be happy about that but there's something even greater that we have that we were lost in our sin with no ability of our own to overcome the wrong that we've done in our lives, we were lost, hopelessly going to a place where God can no longer be because He can't be where sin is, and we were going to be separated from Him forever, but we have been told the good news that Jesus Christ, His own Son, God's own Son came and He died for us and redeemed us from our sin. Can we say hallelujah to that? We can say that because praise be to God that God has given us the, the gift of salvation through His Son. This is truly good news because not only can I have a little bit of joy and happiness for a few moments on this little moment in time in history, but for eternity I can be in a right relationship with God and thank God that one day I'm going to be like him. He's going to give me a new body. How many are ready for one of those? I've been ready, okay? I've been ready, okay? Hallelujah, okay? And I will have You know, the thing that I'm most excited about being with Jesus, everyone wants to meet Jesus, and I definitely want to meet him. But you know what I want to get rid of? I want to get rid of my sin nature. Anyone with me on that one? I am so sick of that one. I want that one gone, and not to have to have that inhibitor. And that's part of why I can't be in the very presence of God, is because of my sin. And so one day I will be with him, and you'll be with him. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, I can have a relationship with the living God. Even today, I've prayed with him and communed with him. We've worshipped him. We together have had the opportunity to connect with him. And because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I then have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Amen? And we become the temple of the living God. And we have this incredible gift of having a relationship with God. At the moment we decide to receive him into our life and ask for forgiveness and repent of our sin. Christ comes into us. Is this not truly good news? Come on, let me hear it, church. Is it not good news? This is good news. We have good news, dear friend. And sometimes we get caught up in the raising of kids and paying of bills and paying off debts and being overwhelmed by bills and kids, kids in debt and all of that, that we can't remember that we've actually have a life that's eternal, that we're going to be with him forever. And we have forgiveness from our savior and we are being called holy one, agios, holy, I'm a saint of God. Because of the living Christ, because of his death and resurrection, I too can be with him in resurrection. And he sees me as holy like he's holy, not because of my holiness, for sure. My kids can tell you all about my unholiness, okay? Except my holy wrath, every now and they can tell you about that. But, but, you know, but, but rather rather the righteousness of God is clothing me. Amen? Because of His goodness and His grace. My friend, we have good news. We have hope and the living hope in Christ. We will no longer have to be in this world anymore. We have a relationship, a right relationship with a living God. And we have forgiveness for sin. We have the gospel, which is good news. God has given that to us. And we're so thankful for it. But the hard part, for some reason, for some reason we can all say amen and hallelujah in this room... But we, it's really hard when I'm at work, and at coworkers, or friends or with family or somewhere else to bring that good news to others. Can anyone just agree with me that that's harder to do that out there? Okay, some of you are not lying. Some of you are. Okay, no, Sam, straight up. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to look at one passage, we'll look at some other verses just as a corollary. But we're going to stay right here in this primary text. Entitled the, the sermon this morning, The Mission. The Mission. Remember, Jesus had lived his life for, for almost 30 years in the last two and a half years of his life when he was, after he got baptized by John the Baptist, right? He started his earthly ministry, as they call it. Remember when the, he was being baptized in the, before, as he was coming up the hill to, to meet John? John calls out from a distance. Remember what he says? Behold, remember thousands of years of sacrificing lambs right from the Garden of Eden, which clothed the skin of those lambs, clothed Adam and Eve, but the blood of that lamb was a demonstration of payment for sin. And for time all the way until Jesus, maybe 4,000 years, we're not exactly sure of the day, but it's, it's, been, a, it's been a little while, okay? Okay. The whole Jewish system was based upon the sacrificial lamb. And, and John the Baptist calls out, remember John calls out, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who, what does he do? Who takes away the sin of the whole world. Wow. And John says, remember what John says? He says, here comes one who's, I don't even, I don't even, I don't deserve to even have my shoes on, right? I can't be in his presence and Jesus says, I want you to baptize. John's like, what are you talking about? Me baptize you. That's ridiculous, right? Remember John? That story? It's an amazing story. And we see John the Baptist, the same one who, who when he was like three or four months old, was like jumping in his womb because Mary, who had Jesus, remember that? Jesus was in, in Mary's belly. We don't even know if she was like two or three weeks pregnant. She wasn't very long. And, and there is John. And he wasn't even born yet. He's like, whoo, it's Jesus. <laughs> wow, you're so excited. Because he was called, even back then, he was called to be the forerunner. He was the Elijah. He was the one that was promised of God to be the forerunner, to be the one who's going to proclaim that the Messiah is coming. And he was saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Incredible. And so we find that, that Jesus is there being baptized. And remember what, what, what happens? Pretty amazing scene, right? The Father cries out from heaven, Behold my Son, in whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. Remember that? This must be quite a scene. I wanted to be there, right? Can you imagine being there? The banks of the Jordan and all these people are like, I know, I need to repent because I'm a sinner. And here comes Jesus walking up the hill. And John the Baptist is like freaking out going, there's someone more worthy than I am. And the people are like, how is that possible? And then all of a sudden, God speaks from heaven. And then a a spirit comes down like a dove. We don't know what that means. We kind of have guesses about what that is. Whatever it is, something's going down. And Jesus has got this thing going on. And he comes up out of the water. And from that time on, he starts he goes and he turns water into wine. He starts healing people, casting out demons. He starts walking on water. He starts raising the dead. He starts telling them the message of the good news. He tells them that there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come. And the people are realizing the Messiah has come. And they doubt it. They doubt it. He says, no, the Messiah has come. They doubt it. They doubt it. And finally he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm going to rise again. And what did Peter say? Never now you can't do that. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Remember? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, you do not know the things of God. This is the guy who's going to lead the church. <laughs> right? He's got to lead the church. And he doesn't know the things of God. And Jesus comes. And he lives an incredible life. And he raises the dead and he heals the sick and he does all the things that he promised. But he's getting ready now to do the thing that he really came for, which was to die. And he gathers his disciples and he tells them this. And they don't believe him. And finally he does die and he rises again. Right? And then he gets his disciples together and he says, Guys, I want to tell you something. I got a job for you. Right? We find this in Matthew chapter 28. verse 18 he says then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me remember Philippians chapter 2 what did he do with all that authority remember what he said chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 we call that the kenosis right the letting go of Jesus had given over all of his authority when he lived on this earth. Remember, what was Jesus constantly doing when he was on this earth? Who was he always talking to and asking? The Father. He had let go of his authority. He he let go of his position. He was being worshipped by all of the angels in heaven. He was there at creation. He spoke and the world came into existence. And when he... Came as a human being, he came as a man. He let go of all those things, and now he has risen from the dead. And now, as it say, all authority and all power has been given to me, friend. I, I don't know if you're grabbing what I'm trying to tell you. I know these truths; you know them well. You've been taught the Bible well. You know these. But are you hearing what I'm telling you? That Jesus has retaken the authority. Go back to Philippians chapter 2 and read that again because it tells us what happened because he was willing to go to the lowest extent. Who has raised him up to the highest extent? The Father. He has all authority. You know, I know the Old Testament would talk about it in Ezekiel, would we'll talk about it in Isaiah, it would talk about this Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man, Son of Man is always talking about judgment. And who did Jesus say that he was? He was the Son of Man. And when he came the first time, he was that gentle little baby. (laughs) But when he comes the second time, look out. Right? Something about a white horse, right? You know what I'm talking about? He's going to come again. He's going to come back in power. Jesus has that power, he has the right to hold that power. And he has all authority. I want you to think about that. I really want you to grab a hold of that. I want you to inculcate that. I want you to get that in your heart because this passage, we look over this passage every single time. When I see this read, most of the time this part of the passage is clipped off. Like somehow it's not important. But listening to me, it says here, Jesus said, listen guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is super important. We're going to get to that in just a second. Let's keep reading. Because of that, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, we see the mission is the Great Commission, right? Can you say that with me? The mission, ready? The mission is the great commission right that's the mission in fact most of you have heard this especially in the 70s this was a big theme that we used to do way back in the day we often say had to say make christ's last command our first concern ever heard that before make christ's last command our first concern first thing we should be thinking about is what the last thing jesus told us to do Now, if you like my kids, I love them very much. They're wonderful children. They are, but they're normal. And so I will go away for a couple days, and I'll say to the boys, hey, guys, I need you to do these three things. Oh, Dad, we're on it. We're we're on it. We got this, right? So about two days in, I call. Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, great, Dad. Fantastic. We're doing great. Hey, how did those things that I talked to you about go? There's a lot of quiet on the phone. Quiet, you know, as a parent, there's always something wrong going down. Like, quiet means either they're doing something or they hadn't done something. So usually this they hadn't done something. Listen, Jesus is gone. He's, he's up in heaven. He's preparing a place for us. Somebody even happy about that. He is. He's preparing a place for us. And, and this is important. I want you to grab a hold of this. What happens, though, is he's, he's, he, we're his kids, and he gave us something to do. And just because he isn't back yet, <laughs> doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about what he asks us to do. Amen? Amen. A- amen. Amen, yeah. yeah. So we've got to think about this. This is important, okay? Really important. This is his last command. He tells us to do something. Tells his disciples to go do something. So this is the Great Commission. So it's often said, make Christ's last command our first concern. Today we're going to get our mind around the command, the commission of God. What is God, what is he asking us to do? And if we're honest, we all want this. But we often struggle at it. We don't know where to start. How do we do this? I'm afraid to do it. Jesus, help us. Right? Amen? Okay. What is painfully obvious about making disciples is that we recognize we can't do this on our own power or our own wisdom, our own strength. Guys, when I know God called us to start churches in Canada, I didn't think I had it figured out. I just knew he wanted us to go. I never started a church before. I certainly hadn't started one in a multicultural city, in a place I'd never been to before, (laughs) and didn't know anyone. (laughs) Right? That's what God does. He asks us to go. So this is a great place to start. So look what Jesus said. He says... Then Jesus came to them and said, can you read it with me, this, just, this last part of verse 18? All authority in heaven, out loud, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, you just said that, Phil. I know. I want you to think about that for a second. Okay? And then he goes on to say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now let's read this last part together, ready? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your first point in your notes. You have unlimited support. Did you write that down? No, I'm not telling you something because I think it's cool and it's a nice little fairy tale or something. Jesus is telling us something. And we either we're going to ignore it or we're going to believe him. How many would rather believe him? How many know that we don't always? We're human. We don't. But I want to remind us of what he said. And it's not complicated, but it's profound. Right? It's profound. Not hard to get our brain around, kind of, but very hard to actuate and to take and inculcate and use and, and, and put into practice and take advantage of and hold on to. Right. I can hear the words. I can even say the words back But putting those words into action is a totally different thing. Can we amen on that? So here's what he's telling us, guys. I know it's not complicated, but I want us to not miss it. He says, look, all authority and power has been given to me. The Great Commission is done with God from the beginning to the end. He has all authority and power. He is the one who's sending us. He will be with us to the very end. All authority and power has been given to him and ever feel overwhelmed, even overmatched as school, at work, in our neighborhoods, anyplace else, home. It's okay. When I landed in Mississauga, we got there. We drove in 1997, May 24th, Graduated from seminary on the 19th, drove on the 24th to Mississauga, got to a high-rise apartment with 32 stories. We were on the 16th floor. More people lived in that building than my hometown I grew up in. We were looking at a city of about 650,000 that is growing to 800,000 over the next 10 years. We had more languages spoken in that city, over 180 languages spoken in that city, And we had more different types of people than I'd ever seen in my entire life. And the next day when we got there, after we unpacked all of our stuff, we turned the TV on, which we didn't always do, but there was nothing else to do. And we thought we're sick of trying to unpack and figure out what to do with this stuff. So we just turned the TV on and we had an announcement from the moderator of the United Church of Canada. I'm not lying to you. God is my witness. He made this announcement our welcome into Canada, the next day we turned the TV on and he said, the United Church Church of Canada no no longer believes in the deity of Jesus Christ. So you're walking into a country that is incredibly diverse and the Christian, the dominant Christian Protestant group in the country, the United Church of Canada, has just denied the deity of Jesus Christ. How about a welcome home gift there, eh? Guys, I'm not missing the idea that we can be intimidated or threatened or scared or feel uncomfortable or not know what to do. Where to start? I'm not lost. You're not the only one who feels that way is what I'm trying to say. We all get that. That's true. But are we listening to what Jesus said? He said, all authority and all power is given to me. Therefore. Why? Because he's got all authority and power. Therefore, go. That's important. And I need to remind myself not just of the command, but of the one who's commanding me, the one who's sending me, the one who's asking me to do something. I'm not relying on me, I'm relying on him. Amen? I can't do this. He can. I'm not able. He is. I'm not good enough. He is. I'm not powerful. He is. I don't know what's going on. He does. Amen? Come on, church. Let's get excited about him and not us. Amen. I become the damper on this problem. He becomes the solution. Amen. And this is what we have to. We get so caught up in looking at ourselves and looking at me and my circumstances and my capacity and my ability and my intelligence. That's the problem. I gotta look at God. Amen? And he says, all authority and all power has been given to me. Therefore, because I got this, you go. Now, stop saying that. I'm telling you, we have to think about that. I don't want you to miss that. First point, number one, you have unlimited support. Now, my question is, do you believe it? Okay? Now, remember how he finished this phrase up, right? He says Remember at the end, can you read that with me the very last part? He says and surely I am with you together with you when sometimes kind of when you're in the right spot when you're only obeying me perfectly when you got it all figured out when you're confused when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you don't know what to do next. Guys, are you hearing it? Amen? amen. Can we get an amen? amen? This is important. Guys, he has all authority, and he is with you when? Always. He's with you always. That is so important. I'm not by myself. He isn't, I'm not lost and confused by this thing. God is right there. He's he's right there. He's right with me. And if there's somebody who's interested in the person who needs to come to Christ, it's not you. If there's someone interested in your neighbor, it's not you. Now you are, but the comparativeness of your wanting that person to come to Christ compared to his willingness to them to come to Christ, it isn't even a comparison. Amen? He wants them to come to know Him. He wants you to be his, his witness. And He is there with all authority and all power. And He's not leaving you alone. You're not isolated. You're not, you are, he's with you always. Amen? Stop preaching. Well, I am. I'm preaching. This is what's important. Okay. we got to get this. You are never alone. Point number two. You're never alone. The one sending us will be with us till the very end. Church, How many of us already know these words, but realize we have to think about them a little bit more? Can we agree? I know this. Yeah, I know you know this, but do you know this? Amen? And this is where it it has to transfer. That 18 inches seems like a, a highway a million miles away. We're getting ready to drive to Maine. That's how far away it is. Okay? It's a long distance, okay? All right. My third point is this. You have unlimited support? You're never alone. This is the command, guys. Make disciples. Passage of Scripture. We'll read it. I'll read it. You guys just read the little part there in verse 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Third point here is make disciples. You know, this week we had a group hang out with us for about a week. We had 40 people. And um, one of the things I was having a hard time finding was a cook. Couldn't find a cook. Look for three months trying to find someone to cook for us for the week. Finally found somebody, and she had crazy stuff going on in her life. She had to move and, and a bunch of terrible things. Stuff happened. And so there were several times I had to cook for the group of 40, which is fun. I actually like to cook, um, and they eat like 40 people, so it, that, that works out. But, um, but, uh, but, you know, when I go to make something, it probably doesn't require any thought, and you can just throw it together any old way, and it's going to be perfectly fine, right? There's no process involved with making something, right? When someone makes you a really nice cake, you, you probably anyone's cake is the same as anyone's cake, right? Is that true? Like, like my lasagna is as good as your lasagna, right? right? And if I'm going to do fried okra, it's going to be the same as your fried okra. And you know calamari is not hard to make at all. Like, that's going to be... How many realize the word make is bigger than we think it is? I think we skip over the word Make. I think we think the word make is like instantaneous. I think we think the word make means I'm going to go make a disciple. So poof, there's one right there. But I walk into a kitchen and I don't go poof and there's the food all ready to go. I didn't, it hasn't happened for me yet. <laughs> Someone show me the, the make that does that. okay? Like the Jetsons, if you're older enough to have the Jetsons. That's, that's how the make works in that scenario. But there are the rest of us in the real world. We're going to make something. that's going to take some time, right? You ever make some ribs? Yeah, she says back there. Give me some ribs. You're going to have to smoke those and cook those over a long period of time. You want those to be any good. You don't want to cook those fast. It's going to be hard and tough and not going to fall off the bone and just delicious juices. Every Sorry, if we're going to hold up. Make. Guys, what I'm trying to help you see is the word make is actually a complicated word. The word make is not a simple, straightforward word. The word make has a process. It, it, it means that there's going to take time and probably order and structure and things to be. When I'm going to go make a disciple, I'm not going to magically walk into someone's life the first time they ever hear about Jesus, tell them about Jesus, and now they're a fully committed follower of Jesus, going out and winning everyone to Jesus and starting new churches. That is not going to happen. Now, God can do anything, so I shouldn't say not, because he can do anything, but 99.9999999%, that's not going to happen. It takes a long time to make a disciple. Can we agree? How many of us are still being worked on in the disciple-making factory? Yeah, for the pressure cooker comes a little bit too often for me, but you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) this is the deal. Making disciples is not a poof. It's the word make. was a small word. Got a lot more going on. Do you understand? So I want you to realize that make disciples is not this poof thing. It's actually an ongoing, strategic, planning, thought-out process. And you're realizing that if I'm going to have that chocolate mousse, have that nice, soft, you know, I'm going to have to keep my eggs cold, I'm going to have to cook my chocolate in a certain burner, I'm gonna to have to keep my whipping cream just at the right temperature. I'm gonna to have to do this at a certain order, and I'm gonna to have to bring those ingredients together in the right sense of temperature around me, because if I go to mix that in the wrong temperatures, that mousse is gonna go flat, it's not gonna be fluffy, it's not gonna be the way I want it, and you're not gonna like it very much. But boy, if I make that chocolate mousse in the right order, with the right temperatures, with the right ingredients, the right way. How many are you ready for some chocolate mousse? I, I, I almost, almost wanted more than the ribs. Like, that's not pretty good. Okay, so, but making is... So as we think about discipleship, I want you to, to put a bigger thought into that. I want you to expand the way that you consider what you're doing. And I want you to give it more of a process. And some of us are going to be in certain stages of discipleship with people. And we get this incredible weight, an unrealistic weight, that I'm supposed to somehow magically meet with somebody once, and they're going to be a fully committed follower of Jesus and understand the entire Bible. Like We know when we say it out loud, it's completely stupid. But when we think about it, we, how many of us have ever carried that weight? Come on. I have. I get this crazy weight, making disciples. I'm supposed to do this Magical thing that requires like ridiculous amounts of process and strategy, and I'm doing all in one conversation in one moment, and there's no way that's gonna happen. Make. So, how to make a disciple? Well, Jesus gives us three things. You see the three things in the text. First one he says is go. In fact, it's a participle, going, in your going. Reminds you, doesn't that, how many of you hear an echo of Deuteronomy 6 in that, right? Anyone anyone hear an echo of Deuteronomy chapter 6 there? In your going? What, what does he tell you in Deuteronomy 6? He says, in your going, he says, I want you to teach them the word, right? As they're sitting, as they're standing on the way, teaching the word. Right? This is an echo. Deuteronomy 6. And so we see going. Going to make disciples. Where do you go? Along the way. Along the way. Along the way to everyone. To tell all peoples, all ethnos. You see, that is not just the people who look like us. Who have the same pay scale as us. And the same workplace as us. And the same color. Same backgrounds as us. All. That's kind, of an all, that's, kind of a, that's kind of like an open word, all. Can you say that word for me? I know, I know I'm being funny. I'm just trying to help you think. All. Okay, I don't even you know the word, but just, you know, work. You know, I'll be gone tomorrow, okay? All. All, right? All. Guys, I know you're like, Phil, I know all of these words. Stop it. Remember? This is a highway, really big highway. It's long. Woo! I'm going to Maine tomorrow, tonight, Okay? I'm driving a long way, okay? All, okay? I'm going to go all the way, okay? That's So how are you doing and you're going? Who in your world has Jesus called us to? Who has he called you to and you're going? Across the street? Across the hall at work or the cubicle? Across my comfort zone? One of my friends used to say that Christians need to be in the smoking section a little longer. <gasps> in the smoking section, can't stand to smoke. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, because that person doesn't need Jesus because they smoke. We need to figure out how to get a little more uncomfortable. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe something else. You just got weed becomes legal in Maryland as of yesterday. Been legal in Canada for a while. They need Jesus too. Sometimes the reason that we're having weed is because there's a lot of emotional hurt and pain and things going on in someone's life. And there's something happening underneath all that that needs not our judgment, needs God's mercy, amen? Maybe they need, hey guys, guess, maybe guess what they might need, ready? They might need good news. How many think they might need good news? I think so, but where's the good news encapsulated? Can you, can you do this? Just point, not at me. Point yourself. Come on. Come on, two of you. There's three of you. Five, eight. I can't get everyone to do this. They don't want to do it. Oh, it's me. The I'm, I'm, good news is right. He's in me. I get to tell them, and they need it. And if they're hurting, and what I do is I look on the outside, and I go, judge, 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 judge. And I'm, why do I do that? They need Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. That's why there's so much stuff on the outside and the pain that we see, that's just noise. We gotta go across our comfort zones, we gotta cross our family lines, we go across the world. That's where our going is. And the next word he uses, next participle he uses baptizing. Baptizing them. Yeah, everyone just wants to get baptized, right? Just go up to someone and say, hey, you wanna get baptized? I'm like, what are you talking about? Hey, you know, you're getting wet. Wanna get wet? If it's hot out, they might just jump in, but they didn't realize this is a spiritual situation going on. No, we've got to go and make disciples, people who become fully committed followers of Christ, people who want to follow Jesus, and once they say, I want to follow Jesus, then what do we do? We baptize them. We say, you're going to make a commitment before God and others. You're going to demonstrate your decision to repent of your sin and come to know the living Christ and follow him. You're going to do this publicly so you can move forward in your faith journey. You're not ashamed. Jesus says, anyone ashamed of me in this world, I will be ashamed of them in the... Next world, so we're going to help you not be ashamed right here. We're going to obey Jesus and get baptized. And so he says, go, make disciples. Then you're going, make disciples, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the outward profession of inward commitment to follow Christ. Our disciples, are you making willing to confess Jesus publicly? If they're not. They're not a disciple, are they? At least they're not there yet. Maybe they're still being made into a disciple. But if they're not willing to profess Jesus publicly, they're probably not a disciple yet. And you know what the third one is? Teaching, right? What do we teach? What does the text tell us? This is a wonderful word in today's culture. They like this idea, right? Let me teach you to obey something. Oh, man, that's like, bring it on. When do I get to jump into that party? Right? (laughs) This is what the Bible says. How do I make a disciples? Am I going? Am I going? I'm making a disciple. Am I going? As I make disciples, I baptize them, I cause them to be willing to be not ashamed of Jesus and to, and to represent him publicly. And then as I'm going, I'm making disciples and I'm baptizing them, and then I'm teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to make disciples. I don't just teach them information so they get smarter about Jesus. I'm actually teaching them to take that information and put it into practice. They must then obey the words of Jesus Christ. This is really important. I teach them to obey. So we live in a very politically correct world. It's hard to navigate that, isn't that? As Christians one of the things that we're dealing with in North America especially is we have enjoyed a ridiculous amount of influence and cultural standing as Christians for the last three to four hundred years. And that's shifting. And some of us our tendency is to fight the culture to take back the right to be the ones who hold the cultural more and tell the culture how it's supposed to be. How many think that's a winning battle? You know what we forgot? We forgot that the God of this world, who's that? Uh huh. Satan. The God of this world has, Paul tells us this in Corinthians, he has blinded, the minds of those who do not believe. We forgot that he is still called the prince of the power of the air. We forgot that he, is, he made Jesus a legitimate offer in the desert when he brought all the nations in front of him and said, I will give these to you if you will simply bow down to me. We are forgetting that there is a real Satan... He has real power, he has real authority, and people born in this world are not born children of God, they're born children of the devil. Now, that isn't a happy thought, but that's as biblical as you can get. And we keep on thinking that everyone's a good person, And everything's cool, and we Christians are supposed to rule the world, and everyone's supposed to have Christian values. People, you don't understand, their father is Satan himself. And they are being blinded by their dad, and they are in delusion. And yes, it's wrong, and yes, that should change, and yes, yes, yes. Stop fighting them and that, because that is not what it's at. We need people to be redeemed, amen? We need people to become children of God. We need them to become disciples of the living King. We need them to want to follow Him. And until we get them to follow Him, we can try to get them to do all the external stuff we want. But that's ridiculous. The heart needs to change. They need to be born from darkness into light. Amen? Anybody want someone to come from darkness to light? Or anyone want someone to just behave better? How many want the behavior? How many want the darkness to light? Dear friend, as Christians, we need to throw away our desire for everyone to act like Christians. We are no longer in a Christian world. We are in a secular world. We're in a world that does not agree with what we believe. And that's becoming painfully obvious. We can keep on telling them how bad they are and fighting them. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote and make decisions. We We need to use any influence we have to do the right thing. But stop trying to fight the culture and spend your time trying to reach your neighbor. And love your neighbor, right where they are. Don't try to change your neighbor. Why you want to change? It? Why you want to clean up a pig? How about having that person change from the inside and the outside will become what it needs to become? We need to focus on the loss. We need to focus on who they are. We as believers need to teach believers how to live in obedience to Jesus. We as believers need to teach our children how to walk in obedience to Christ. Amen. But I don't need to teach my neighbor's kids who don't love God how to do that. I need to teach them how to come to Christ. Amen? And once they come to Christ and want to follow Christ and make him their king, then we can talk about what it means to obey their king. Why am I teaching them to obey a different king than the one they already have? That's ridiculous. And we as Christians have to get our brain around that. Because we've been used to living in a world that's predominantly Christian. We can tell everybody how to be Christian and how to obey like Christians and live like Christians. We're all mad at them because they don't want to be like Christians. Dear friends, they're not Christians. They don't know Jesus and they don't want to follow him. Let's get a few of them to want to have him in their life. Let's get them to want to follow him. All right. I've yacked about a lot of stuff this morning. But it says in John chapter 1, verse 43. The following... Oh, actually, no. I'm jump, I jumped here. So we have till what? Till about 3.30? Oh, <laughs> we, we're supposed to be done already. I'm over, the, I'm over the limit. Okay, well, I have more notes here, guys. So I'm sorry. We're going to have to let go of my notes. But I want to give, give you six real simple principles in evangelism. And, um, and then we'll go. Okay? I'll give them to you super quickly. You're going to have to write these down and you're going to have to put the Bible verses beside them and do your own, own, do your own preaching. Okay? So maybe you guys could preach at home back to each, forth to each other. Amen? Good. I like it. Good. Okay. I want to give you, so those things are all the biblical thoughts. I want to give you some principles that we've learned in Canada. Some of you have heard these before, but I think they're helpful. Okay, I want to get more practical. First principle, there's six principles. First one, evangelism, evangelism is a process not an event let me answer it this way how many of you in this room came to christ from a one-time hearing of the gospel or a tract that you read but never heard anyone tell you about god or never had someone love you who is a christian or pray for you how many of you have come to christ because over time through the gospel given to you multiple times and people loving and praying for you you came to jesus look around Look around. Evangelism is a process, not an event. There is a point in time when you come to Christ, but evangelism takes time. And you need to think about it that way. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. You can go back and read them. Second principle. The goal of evangelism is to make a disciple, not a decision. My whole life up until I was 26, I was trained to go out, share the good news, and ask people to make decisions to follow Jesus. Then I got myself into a culture where most people had no idea what I was talking about, had no background of it, and that conversation went a lot slower. (laughs) It took a lot more time. And then I started to realize I didn't just want them to decide to follow Jesus and pray a prayer with me, I wanted them to, for their whole life, decide to follow Jesus and keep following him. Amen? And so the goal of evangelism is to make a disciple a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, not a decision. Can we say amen to that? In the process of becoming a disciple, do you make that decision and hundreds more? <laughs> yes. It's not just one decision. Matthew 28 18 through 20. We just looked at that. My third principle. Evangelism is the most effective in the context of a relationship. Dear friends, in today's culture, with all of the challenges that are around you, with all the people who are confused about their gender and about all kinds of things, you know what they need more than anything? They need someone to look at them and not see them as a project or judge their lives. They need someone to say, come into my life and I will love you and I will be your friend. And you can sit at my table and eat and we can do life together and we can walk together. And we can do stuff together. People need starving for relationship. Coming out of COVID, that's been the thing that's been very clear. And then people are trying to make friends on Facebook and all these other whatevers, online stuff, and they can make some level of friendship, but they're not making the friendship that they need. And my friends, people are starving for relationship. Do you have space in your life for someone who needs a friend? And your neighborhood and your workplace and your family, I'm telling you, the best place to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ is over time, and then a relationship, and now there's trust. And now I can deliver the hard thing. John chapter one, verses 43 through 46. How in the world did Philip bring Nathaniel to see Jesus if Nathaniel was not his friend? Answer me that question. Number four: the primary message of the gospel is one of a relationship with God. Not heaven and hell. This could be a controversial thought. It's not really. Heaven and hell are real. I don't deny them at all, but they are causal. Who did God make hell for? All of the people who chose not to receive him? Is that who he made it for? You said it. Made it for Satan and the angels. Oh, and by the way, Satan led a bunch of people away from God, too. And now they got to go. Okay, But heaven and hell are causal. They are the resultants of, I am going to choose to have a relationship with the living God through his Son. I'm in heaven. I'm going to choose to reject God and his salvation through his Son. I'm going to go to hell. They're causal. They're real. I'm not trying to deny that. But they're not the issue. They become the thing I have to live with. The issue is, am I in a relationship with the living God? Amen? Or am I not? The gospel message, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is one of the message of reconciliation. I've been given the message of judgment? No. I've been given the message of reconciliation. Who's the one who's going to convict? The Holy Spirit, John 16, right? He goes into the whole world convicting all men of? sin, righteousness, and judgment. So my message is one of a relationship with the living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Fifth principle. I, I, I'll, I'll get us out of here. Sorry, guys. Evangelism is not done by one, but by team. So, Pastor Song, Jesus gives this command to go make disciples. That's pretty important, right? Where in the Bible after Matthew 28 is that command restated? I'm putting you on the spot. I'm being mean. It's not a kind question. It's a perplexing question. If that command is so important, why isn't it repeated again in the Bible? What is the next thing on the calendar after Jesus ascends into heaven? Pentecost. And what happens there? He starts the church. And what is the whole New Testament about? The church. So what is God's vehicle to make disciples? Guess. The church. God never meant for me by myself to make all the disciples he meant for us together to work at it amen so evangelism is not done by one but done by team 1st Corinthians chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 okay the last one I'll give you is this is depend on the Holy Spirit John 16 7 through 8 you can read that guys Pastor Steve mentioned it earlier God is already at work. God's already at work. I just need to join him. And so I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. This morning, I've given you more than you can chew. I apologize for that. I got preachy. I guess I'm supposed to be preaching, but not this long. The Great Commission. You have unlimited support. The one sending us has all authority and all power. You are never alone. The one who is with us will be with us to the very end. And he's told us what to do. Make disciples. This is the command in the text by going, and baptizing, and teaching. And so the question I have for you, are you going? Who have you baptized? And who are you teaching? And are you teaching them to obey Jesus? I'm not talking about someone who doesn't want Jesus. Telling them how bad they are for not obeying him that, that's kind of silly. First Corinthians five tells us about that, verses nine through eleven. Look at that. But believers in Jesus. And my friend, what I know is, is that this is hard work, and where soil that we're living in is getting harder and harder to do this in. You guys here are moving sadly towards where we are in Canada in terms of the mindset, the culture. This is not easy soil to grow our fruit the harvest. But God has called us and he is faithful.